Welcome everyone to Book Blurbs, the podcast that delivers substantive reviews of books and short stories to help you decide if they're worth adding to your reading list. My name is Kenneth and I'm your host. And today's episode is going to be a little different than normal. It's going to be another bonus episode. Recently, one of my friends read Where the Crawdads Sing. And if you're a follower of the podcast, you'll know that I read Where the Crawdads Sing back in the spring of 2021. And it was easily one of the most popular books that I read that year. And so I thought it would be a real fun time to have a sit-down, a bonus spoiler-filled discussion on the book now that the two of us have read it and see what our thoughts are on the book. And I thought it would be even more exciting because the Where the Crawdads Sing movie directed by Olivia Newman and produced by Reese Witherspoon is scheduled to come out in the summer of this year, 2022. Now, things could change with the COVID pandemic and everything as we've seen with the movie industry and film releases, but that's what's on the slate right now. So sit back, get ready for a, as I said, spoiler-filled discussion of Where the Crawdads Sing, and stick around to the end to find out how you can add your thoughts to the discussion. I'd love to hear them. This is Book Blurbs, and this episode is a bonus discussion of Where the Crawdads Sing. Welcome back to Book Blurbs, everyone, for this special bonus discussion on Where the Crawdads Sing. Uh, fair warning, this discussion will be full spoilers, so if you have not read the book, you should definitely do that. Um, but nevertheless, jumping right into it, I am excited to have Leslie back on the podcast. You haven't been on since we discussed that short story and your car was towed. We haven't. <laughs> I don't know if that was on purpose. I will I will admit I had some PTSD after I walked out after recording and my car was gone. I think it will still be here after this discussion. I swear, if it's not, I'm going to be really <laughs> You'll upset. You'll never be back on the podcast again. I'm never again. coming back. <laughs> um, so, Leslie, I read Where the Crawdads Sing back in like early spring 2020. Mm -hmm. You just finished reading it this year right yes so shout out to my sister bethany she was the one who was really pushing me to read it i had actually bought it and it just took me a while to get into it and uh december early december 2021 i took a trip with my sisters to southern california and i figured i'll try and get into this book while i'm on the plane and usually i read on the plane in airports mm -hmm. i completely devoured this book in the airports waiting for my layover in the plane, on the plane ride back, I actually finished the book. Well, so a couple things. Um, I was like 120 pages in, like by the time I got to Southern California, yep. two or three different women stopped me in the terminal <laughs> to tell me how much they loved the book when they first read it. And then I actually finished the book when I, my plane landed and like I was staying on that, you know, plane and other passengers were coming on. So as passengers were coming off and they were prepping the plane for the next batch of passengers mm -hmm. i called my sister and i was like i can't believe what i just read and we were just like debriefing on the book and just talking about it i was freaking out and i just kind of sat there on the plane 
until we took off again. I was like, I, I don't even know what to do with myself. I can't start something new right now. But yeah. Yeah. It was such a quick read. It was so, so good. Yeah. So I read it. Uh, my family and I went to like a beach vacation and uh, we drove to Florida. And mm -hmm. so I checked it out from the library before I left here, um, started reading it in the car on the way there. Every day on the beach, I'd bring it out and read it. Oh, yeah. And then I finished it on the drive back home a few days later. And <laughs> you know what happens at the end. So, like, Ugh. I'm, like, starting to tear up. And I'm, like, trying to hide my crying from my mom <laughs> so she doesn't get worried. Like, what's wrong? But, yeah, like, that whole trip, I when I think back on that trip, I think of, like, spending time with my family. Yeah, but I also will probably always remember I read that book then. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, and you remember where you were when you read this book. Oh, yeah. It's kind of like, where were you when you read the ending of Where the Crawdads Sing? Yeah. And I think I, being on a plane, it was kind of funny. I just, I don't know what it was, but I just kept, I found myself kept going like, oh, oh, sweet girl. Oh. And I was like, I need to stop making these noises. I'm on a plane. People are going to think I'm insane or just like doing something else. And it, oh. But it's so hard to contain your emotions with the story. Like, no. it was just so so well written and it was so easy to get through mm -hmm. and i so when i read on planes usually it's kind of i even if i'm super engrossed in the story i sometimes find myself nodding off just from the motion yeah, and the too. sound and i never did that with this book i was reading from like take off to landing it was just so easy to get through and it was kind of hard to find a stopping point where i felt like i could stop and be like okay i'm good with picking this up tomorrow like that yeah, just didn't there's, happen. there's kind of only one stopping point when it goes from part mm -hmm. one to part two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and even, even then, then yeah. you don't want to wait too long <laughs> after that. You're just like, wait, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that. really good. Mm -hmm. um, I prepared some questions for us. Okay. Uh, we'll kind of start from the beginning of the book and the book kicks off. Uh, Kaya's whole family is there. Am I saying her name right? It's been mm -hmm. a while. I think so, yeah. It's Kaya. spelled K-Y-A. So yeah, it's I like... assumed Kaya. Yeah, okay. Uh, we'll have to wait for the movie than... later this year to uh, find out. Yeah, other than that, it's Kia, and that's like my car, so okay. I'll, take, I'll say Kaya. <laughs> um, <laughs> it starts off with her whole family there in the marsh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, but things quickly go downhill, and I think by the end of chapter one, or definitely by chapter two, like, her mom has left. Yes. Um. So why do you think her mom leaves at the beginning? And do you agree with her decision not to come back? You know, it's hard. I mean, I am a woman, but I am not a mother. I am married, but I don't have kids. So I, it, it, I'll admit it was hard for me to empathize with the mother just because we didn't, we knew nothing of her story for the longest time in the book. Yeah. And you're experience you're experiencing this through the eyes of Kaya and knowing that your siblings, you know, her siblings eventually left. Her father was just terrible to her and terrible to the family. You can't blame the mother for leaving. I just, I just wish that she had taken, I just don't know why she wouldn't even have taken her babies or at least, you know, at least Kai, I, I just, and correct me if I'm wrong at that point, sort of mentally, she had just kind of checked out. Right. Yeah. I think at that, if I remember correctly yeah. at that point, she was just, you know, it, it was kind of fight or flight and she just flew away and you can't really blame anyone for falling back on their self-preservation instinct. It's just, it's yeah. I, I, I'm really curious what her letter she sent 
like a year or so later said. Oh, yes. Um, but then her dad burns the letter or tears it up before mm-hmm. she can even read it. Yeah. Um, and it, like you said, it's not till like I think part two of the book where we find out what actually happened to the mm-hmm. mom. And I'm glad she like included that because I, for the longest time I was worried the author was just going to like forget about the mom. And Yeah, even so, I mean me being an an optimistic reader with always looking for the happy ending. I do wish at a certain point the mom had just kind of said screw it. I'm going to like I'm going to go back for my kids because I think the threat from the father was if you come back, I don't I don't know if he threatened violence or he was just going to like disappear with the kids or whatever the case was. Mm-hmm. Um I guess with my 2020 hindsight re- realistic vision, I'm kind of looking at that and I'm like he was also a drunk who would disappear. So, like, what are yeah. the odds that... There were so many opportunities yeah, to sneak like, back in there. Yeah, like, realistically, what are the odds that he would actually follow through on this? But I've never been in that situation. I don't I don't know that fear. I don't know that that sort of level of anxiety. It just... it. You want to empathize with the mother because her experiences are valid, too. And her fears are valid. And it sounds like she really went through the ringer with this man. But it... I just... You know, kids are a game changer and especially Kaya, like being so young and it's it was interesting because like as we're talking about this, I think about how for most of the book I was really upset with Jody for not taking Kaya. Yeah. And looking back, it's like, well, that wasn't Jody's responsibility either. He was a mm-hmm. kid too. Like he was trying to he needed someone to take care of him and protect him as well. So it's not really his fault. It 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 does fall back on the mother. It's it, it which that doesn't sound very empathetic, but you know it. Yeah, Jody can only do so much. But even when it's just eventually her and her dad, uh-huh. I was like, why am I feeling hopeful for the dad? He's such a bad person. I know. And then, like, there would be moments where he would like genuinely show her love and like yeah. do things for her. And when um, they would go fishing. Yeah, and then when he gave her like the knapsack or satchel to like put the feathers in yes. and collect. Yeah. Um, I was like getting hopeful for him. And then you remember why it's so hard to live with him. Yeah. I think something that I didn't consider until right now also is, and this is kind of a a bigger theme of the book is just knowing that the Marsh people are there and never intervening. You know, we see that one intervention with the person from the school district coming to get Kaya to go to school. Um, but there was that one story, if I remember correctly, of, when the kids were younger and Tate saw Kaya being hit or something by the dad, I don't remember if Tate did something or if the brother did something, but, and again, it's not Tate's responsibility, but I'm sure Tate said something to a parent or it, I just can't help but wonder how, or reflect on like how, how much other people knew Mm -hmm. of what was happening in that house. Like if I'm sure they knew that, Mr. Marsh person, whatever the dad's name was, like they they knew he wasn't okay. Like they they had to have known something was going on. It just this book really just sort of makes you look at all these layers of neglect, not just from the family, but from their community. Yeah, I think that's a perfect segue into my next oh. point. Uh, <laughs> uh, Owens, the author, says that the North Carolina Marsh where Kaya's lived and grown up is like a sanctuary for her mm-hmm. and for all outsiders. Mm-hmm. And so the setting like really shapes the novel and becomes 
its own character in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found this quote from her that I'll read and then we can kind of like talk about it. Sure. Uh, she says, as one line of the story reads, Kyle laid her hand upon the breathing wet earth and the marsh became her mother. Mm-hmm. After her family left her, Kaya had no one but nature to teach her about life. And there is no better teacher if we take the time to observe and listen to the wild. Kaya honed her skills of harvesting mussels by watching the crows. She learned about dishonest signals from fireflies. She learned about loyalty and friends from the seagulls. Very little has been written about the historical population of people who lived within these untamed deltas and estuaries for more than 400 years. These hardy souls were a mismatch of mutinous sailors, castaways, debtors, and fugitives, and runaway and freed slaves. They ignored whatever laws, British, provincial, or American, ruled them at the time, living off the land and scrapping like muskrats over their staked-out claims. Kaya was born in the 1940s and probably would represent one of the last true marsh people who lived for generations in their own nation of land and water. And so that's kind of like the background for this whole setting. And she goes on to give a reason for why she picked it, because she said, while it is this almost magical place, she wanted there to be some realism in picking this as the setting for the book. And so Mm -hmm. she said, another reason for choosing this marsh is that although it is a wild place, it is conceivable that Kaya could have survived on her own. Mm -hmm. Collectible food was bountiful, as she shows us so well. Temperatures are mild, hiding places abundant, and companions like Jumpin' and Mabel are not too far away. Mm-hmm. So there's that like community that you know is there and will probably like intervene or help if things get really desperate. Yeah. But at the same time, it is wild and untamed. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting that she chose the marsh just because when you think about sort of romantic, idyllic settings for a novel i don't think marsh is very high on the list at least it wouldn't be for me mm-hmm. you would you know you when you think about like especially how this story had that element of survival you would think maybe a mountain setting or somewhere near a lake um you could even make an argument for like a beach setting like along the coast and so when before i read this book when i would pick you know see descriptions and it was in a marsh it was like a marsh what? <laughs> yeah like why do even, I want to travel there? Yeah, I was like even like the word like marsh. It doesn't sound very it, it doesn't sound exciting. It doesn't sound thrilling. And so her points are all valid where it sounds like it's a feasible it would be, you know, somewhat feasible for someone to survive, but I also enjoyed as I read and learning about how how much Kaya learned from it, but also how much value there was to Tate not only as a boy growing up here but also as a scientist yeah and how much he was able to learn and how important the marsh as an ecosystem was and you know the contributions they were making to the scientific community because of their knowledge of the marsh it sort of just highlighted how the marsh was sort of this unappreciated ecosystem this wetland that again it's nobody really thinks of the of a marsh as being something valuable in any capacity, at least maybe that I could <laughs> I could be offending a whole bunch of like people who appreciate marshes, and if I am, I'm so sorry. But you know, I grew up in the South, and then for college, I lived on the West Coast, up near Lake Tahoe, and so those very scenic areas, and then kind of growing up by the water, like I never would think that a marsh had so much to offer, 
you know, this young girl, but also as the backdrop for this story. Yeah. Yeah, I think I had to go into the book because I grew up in Louisiana. You know, we have bayous there mm-hmm. and swamps. And similar. I had to, like, realize that a marsh is different from okay. a swamp in some ways. I, I was kind of picturing swamp, maybe. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. Going into I still it. kind of do. <laughs> um, and the novel, I think, would work, even if it was a swamp. Sure. But, yeah. Yeah. They sounded kind of similar, honestly, mm-hmm. when she was talking about them. Yeah. Um, so we've already talked about some of the characters, mm-hmm. but which character do you think, or would you say, had the biggest impact on Kaya and how she grew and developed? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I'll go with mine. <laughs> go, yeah, go for yours uh, first. I would say Tate. I was, yeah, I was thinking Because Tate. he's the one that teaches her how to read. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that encourages her to, like, pursue like her kind of research in the wild and like studying and science and then she goes on to publish these books that get her a lot of money and recognition uh she's seen as like one of the foremost um researchers of this habitat Mm -hmm. um and he's always just this positive encouraging presence in her life yeah it's kind of like the marsh and tate are the two entities characters in her life that influenced her with no ulterior motives Mm -hmm. because you can make an argument and not to what was the name of the man of the black man who owned who were shooting yes jumping jumping okay so i mean obviously he was a positive him and his wife were positive influences in her life but i think she sort of kept a wall up with them as much as she felt she needed to and so I think with Tate and the and the the Marsh, if you want to call the Marsh a character, they, you know, they were just sort of teaching her to survive for the purpose of teaching her to survive. Because I know, like, when Tate, it's not like he was trying to sleep with her the first time he taught her to read. He just was like, this girl needs to learn how to read. Like, mm-hmm. she's this age and she can't do this basic skill. Um, and then when you look at, her dad and I already forgot that other guy's name. Um, her brother? Like, Chase. Oh. Chase. Um, he, you know, you could argue that she, he taught her a lot too, just from the standpoint of like relationships between men and women. Like, I mean, not all of it was great, obviously, but we know now that he had ulterior motives. There was mm-hmm. no intention of ever being serious with her. There was no intention of, you know, being an equal with her, you know, she was kind of like, in every sense of the word, like the dirty side piece, you know, the, yeah. the dirty side chick. Um, so I think if we're talking about influences that were influential to her for the sake of just of doing the right thing, of helping her survive and, you know, being able to take care of herself, I would say Tate and also the Marsh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Um like in part one, like you mentioned, she gets kind of this summons to go to school. Mm-hmm. She only lasts one day there. I do not blame her. Yeah. That poor girl. Absolutely horrible what she goes through. Kids are cruel. <laughs> They're so cruel. It. Ugh, I just. And the adults were not better. No. It was just. It was. Do you think she makes the wrong decision in not trying to go back? Or that was. No. She didn't even have a choice. I don't think so because, I mean, if you or I were in that scenario and that was your first 
interaction with school, school is, I yeah. wouldn't want to go back either. I was heartbroken because she was so excited to I learn. I know. It, I don't know why. Was it, like, harder? I mean, we've, we've talked about books before. We've read, I feel like, a decent amount of stories between the two of us. I don't know why. It was so hard for me to read about her going to school. Like, did you struggle reading that as well? It just... Just, like emotionally it, hard? Yeah, it just hurt my heart a little bit more yeah. than I expected it to. And I don't know why. I can't even imagine if I had kids that were preparing to go to school and I read that part. <laughs> oh, no. I'd be like, I would call my husband and be like, we are homeschooling. Yeah. <laughs> we are never sending our kid into the world. Yeah, uh, I, I, I kind of wish that those truancy officers found her and dragged her back just to give her another taste. But it, it, it I... I don't know if, I mean, the wrong decision from an educational standpoint, yeah, of course, but. I, I think I, it really shapes her going forward, though, and, like, mm-hmm. shapes her personally, but also, like, her view of the community and, like, people in general. She learned very quickly, I think, the nature of humanity in a very, very cruel way, which is so unfortunate, but she sort of learned very quickly, like, this is how the world sees me, and this is. This, this is kind of what I need to brace myself for. Yeah. So, like, even though she didn't go get an education in stuff like reading and writing, mm-hmm. but she got hard life lessons even from an early age like mm-hmm. that. Um, yes. And I think she would have been a completely different character if she did stay in school and continued with the education. She wouldn't be the Kaya that we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we mentioned Jumpin' and Mabel also, and I adore them. They were so sweet. (laughs) I love them. Uh, So after Jody and Pa leave, it's just Kaya, and then she kind of goes under the wings of Jumpin' and Mabel. Uh Uh, Jumpin' gives her the gas to be able to ride her boat around, and Mm -hmm. Mabel finds her clothes that she can wear. Um, Why do you think... We know why Kaya's drawn to them, but why do you think... Jumpin' and Mabel are drawn to Kaya. I think they see a little bit of their own experience and her experience, just because we know that as, you know, living in in their community as black people, we saw evident we saw examples of them being marginalized and kind of pushed aside mm-hmm. for something they could not control, the color of their skin, right? They did nothing wrong. They were just existing and they um they were treated differently they were treated as second-class citizens and the same could be said of kaya right she was born into these circumstances she had no say over them she had no say over who her father was or whether or not her mother would stick around where they were living and so i think obviously they saw a girl a young a child who was lost and needed some guidance who had been abandoned but i think they also you know going a little deeper saw a little bit of their own experience reflected in her because, you know, despite their different circumstances, they at their core were kind of going through the same thing, except, you know, Jumpin and his wife had the advantage of being adults mm-hmm. and they could sort of fend for themselves. And they were taught, I would assume by those before them, you know, these are your circumstances. This is how you navigate them. Kaya was just thrown into these circumstances and told, figure it out. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Hit the nail on the head. Like both Jumpin' and Mabel and then Kaya are ostracized mm-hmm. from the community. Um, they're looked down upon by the people from is it Berkeley or Barkley? 
Barkley Cove? Barkley Cove. Um, you know, so they're, they're alienated and they have to like find a way to survive on their own. Yeah. And so I think they, they really connect on that level and it just grows from there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the town, Kaya often has encounters, especially in part one with when her dad's around and they go into the town, um, she'll watch other young people from the town. Mm-hmm. Uh, she gives them great nicknames. like I love the nicknames. <laughs> Tall, skinny, blonde. <laughs> ponytail, freckle face. Short, black hair. Always wears pearls. And round, chubby cheeks. I mean... <laughs> I love that it's written all as like one word, too. I, I mean, I, I felt like I knew exactly who she was talking about <laughs> when she used these nicknames. I think we should normalize making nicknames like that in our own lives when we're people watching. Um... <laughs> uh, and what, like oftentimes when she sees people like round chubby cheeks, mm-hmm. um, she'll be observing them in secret, like hiding and just watching from a distance. Mm-hmm. So why do you think Kaya observes them in this way and doesn't try approaching? I mean, I think it goes back to the, the school. whole school experience. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I don't remember. Were those kids? Do we know if those kids were in the class? I feel like we know one of them, maybe a couple of them were. I don't fully remember if those yeah. kids were in her class. I'm not sure. Because we do know that I think we saw, not Tate, uh, Chase, Chase. She had an interaction with Chase and his friends on the sidewalk, right? Yeah. So she probably, I yeah, I would agree that it probably just goes back to her first day of school where... People in the community have not given her any reason to believe that if she approached any of them with the best of intentions, they would reciprocate that. They that they would show her any kindness or any just basic human decency. She probably has no idea what basic human decency is until she encounters Tate. Yeah. I think also it goes back to her growing up in the marsh on her own and mm-hmm. just observing nature. And a lot of times in nature, animals are very cautious and will not approach yeah, that's unfamiliar a good point. animals. Mm-hmm. They don't know how they're going to react. So that's they'll really they kind of like watch and observe. Mm-hmm. And I think Kaya just tunes into that animal instinct in a way when she does this. Yeah. Um, that's all she knows. Because she doesn't want to put herself in danger if mm-hmm. something bad's going to happen. Yeah. She wants a quick getaway or to be able to hide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. agree. So the book is clearly split in two parts there's part one part two um just in general which part is your favorite which one did you enjoy reading more oh my gosh i have to like go back to my mind space when i was reading this i think i think part one ends with tate leaving to go to college right or has he already left by that point i thought he had already left i thought that part one ended with her arrest Oh, I should have I, I should have checked that before before today. I don't remember. I that's kind of, when I think back on the book, that's what I remember. Uh-huh. At least to me, that's in my own mind. That's the delineation when the story completely changes. Yeah. Um, I think. I so, I love true crime. So, I think when I was first looking into the book. I would read it and be like, I don't really want to read about this girl who's abandoned. And then I saw a description where it said, there's a true crime, like a courtroom drama. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, well, now my interest is peaked. Yeah. So, and but oddly enough, I think 
I enjoyed part one more just because with all, despite all of the just blatant discrimination and cruelty that she experienced from people, those moments where she had just like a glimmer of a real family with Pa Mm -hmm. and when she had her moments with Tate and just, you know, learning the marsh with him and growing up and sort of getting a, a peek at what real love is with him. I just loved reading those and they just made my heart so happy. So even though I sped through the second half of the book like a speed <laughs> demon and my true crime aficionado heart was just like engrossed in the story and it was definitely much more thrilling and I it definitely kept me on the edge of my seat. Um, I think I preferred that first that first part of the book for that exact reason but also because it's sort of i i was still able to kind of hope and be like well at the end of this they're gonna live happily ever after and it's fine (laughs) i would pick part one too um i like the whole coming of age aspect of it Mm -hmm. i like kaya's very innocent in part one um in part one we're also being introduced to the marsh and the setting and so there's so much beautiful descriptive language yeah uh like we read about a sunset that she watches or just little like watching the seagulls or stuff like that. It's like so beautiful in parts. Did you find yourself missing the marsh in part two when she was in that? I really did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was an effective, uh, I never would have guessed that for myself as a reader. Cause I, we've talked about this before, how I don't really care for very long, winded descriptions of like grass and mm-hmm. the beach and water and things and like I that. And I don't either. And that's like a problem I have with a lot of like really thick, big fantasy novels is mm-hmm. those authors will spend so much time describing the world. And I'm mm-hmm. just like, I don't care. where did the characters go? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to forget this in the next three pages anyway. Yeah. So I can just skip all of it. Yeah. But I found like, especially knowing what it means to Kaya, knowing that she was in that cell for the duration of the trial and she had been there for months or whatever it was weeks months i was just like i miss it i miss it and i was just got so excited when she was finally able to reunite with the marsh i was just ugh. Mm-hmm. yeah so we both really like part one of the book mm-hmm. uh we're gonna take a quick break here and then we'll talk about part two part and two. the book overall so stay tuned <laughs> Welcome back to Book Blurbs, everyone. We're discussing Where the Crawdads Sing on this special bonus episode. And Leslie is here again, and we'll just jump right back into our discussion here. So, Leslie, I have a note here on page 142. Kaya watches the fireflies near her shack and notices that the females can change their flashes to signal different things. Um... What do you think this realization means to Kaya? And what is what does the fireflies teach her about relationships and love? And what is this I'm real realization? What does she do with this realization in part two of the book? Well, I'm trying to remember what the context was in that scene. Do you? Remember, I know you have the page number, but do you remember what? Like, was she with Chase at this point? Was she? Did she already have her? You know, sort of final showdown with him or? Do you remember? I'm struggling to remember, um, but I do think in the scene with the fireflies, she realizes that the females can like lure in the males, and yeah. then yeah. So I mean, 
I guess the subtext, you know, looking back on it is, you know, people, people can change what they want you to see. Like what you might see in a person might be different than what someone else sees, depending on what, how they want to be presented to you. So in the context of, I guess, the obvious framework would be with Chase, right? Mm -hmm. Where he was very willing and easy or able to, you know, present to her this idea of, a romantic future where he would take care of her and he would give her the family and the love and the adoration that she had been neglected for so, so long. And she would see him interacting with other kids, you know, out and about the freckle face, round cheek people and like mm-hmm. all the other people that she knew from the community from a distance. And so I don't remember, I, I wish I remembered if this was sort of before or after she realized that Chase was lying and he was engaged. Um, but... Yeah. Because at some point like go to a motel or hotel and he promises he's going to marry her. Yeah. Um, And then at some point she reads in the newspaper that he's engaged. Yeah. I would imagine that this was probably her first exposure, not just with people, but with nature of, of something sort of not being what it appears, but Mm -hmm. on purpose. Yeah. Because I would imagine in nature and I know that there's, you know, it's not a hundred percent the case across the board, but you know, the tree is a tree and the, the, you know, the muscles are the muscles and it's pretty, I would imagine it's pretty black or white. Mm-hmm. And so this was probably the first instance of something having a little bit of gray, being a little bit of shades of gray in there for her, where she's like, well, you know, I'm seeing one thing and all of a sudden I'm seeing something different and it looks like it's done on purpose for a reason by this firefly and so i would imagine that probably her first in- example or introduction to deception yeah because she's known betrayal she's known abandonment she's known tenderness and kindness but she's never really known deception has mm-hmm. she yeah this is like her first time seeing it and learning how to do it herself mm-hmm. um which really comes into play with how the novel ends oh yes uh, the, the fireflies are another example of like mm-hmm. Kyle learning from nature. And towards the end of the book, she says, uh, most of what she knew she learned from the wild. Nature had nurtured, tutored, and protected her when no one else would. Mm-hmm. If consequences resulted from her behaving differently, then they too were functions of life's fundamental core. Um, what do you think she means by that? Can I see that quote again? Can I see it? <laughs> yeah. She says, uh, most of what she knew, she learned from the wild. Nature had nurtured, tutored, and protected her when no one else would. If consequences resulted from her behaving differently, then they too were functions of life's fundamental core. Well, you think on I that, can't... I can give you the author's yeah, let me know what on she that. says, because I feel like I have a direct line, but it ties directly to the end of the book. Okay. So So Owen says, uh, when you can live in the wild, start a campfire in pouring rain, and find your way in the dark, you truly believe in yourself. You may still be lonely and feel awkward around other people, but you can do much more than you ever thought possible. All of this is Kaya, alone, unsure, awkward around people, but strong, capable, knowledgeable, and very spunky on her own. Mm -hmm. And in the end, the confidence she gains from self-reliance in nature gives her the strength to thrive in man's world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so 
when I when you read that quote, the part about consequences, uh, what was it? Uh, consequences resulted from her behaving differently than they too were functions of life's fundamental core. I just, and I don't know if this is me sort of going like it's kind of a bit of a stretch, but fundamental core, life's fundamental core. I just think fight or flight survival mode, right? And so mm -hmm. I can't help but think to, you know, the the big conflict of the story with Chase's with Chase's murder and what happened and whether or not Kaya was the perpetrator. And, you know, if consequences resulted from her behaving differently, what would be, what would different behavior be for her? Probably standing up for herself, using, tapping into that confidence and realizing, no, like kind of like what she told Jody, I never hated anyone. They always hated me. And for the longest time, the subtext there is I just took it because I didn't know any differently. I didn't know any better. I didn't know I could do anything differently or that I should mm -hmm. be doing anything differently. And so I think it's, I don't want to say it's excusing anything and everything Kaya did, but for someone who doesn't know, she never really grew up with a concept of law, right? Like yeah. She doesn't know that. I mean, for all we know, we don't know if she even has an idea. I mean, she probably has some sense of right and wrong, but it goes back to the whole setting. Like, there, even if they do have laws, like American laws and everything, like the Marsh people don't follow them. Yeah, the they follow, follow the laws them. of nature. And like, we also know that the law is different for if the laws were different for black people living in that community, they're mm -hmm. probably different for Marsh people too. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of goes back to how nature plays into Kaya's character. Um, Kaya's relationships really shape and form her in the book. Mm -hmm. And we have, on one end, Chase, and then one end, Tate. I love Tate. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I have a question here. It says, is Chase a different kind of man than Tate? Yes, of course he is. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> How are they different? So, Do you think their differences are kind of nature or nurture like learned or just biological uh how does kaya see chase versus tate so she probably doesn't really know there is a difference between chase and tate like she just knows that they're boys mm -hmm. like then they're different from her in that sense and that's like she doesn't know she never had anyone telling her growing up what i heard growing up you know like be careful of boys like this or avoid boys like that she never heard that. So Tate's a boy, Chase is a boy. You know, they look different, but you know, how much, how different can they really be? Mm -hmm. um, but I love that you're asking about this because one of the things I wanted to bring up with you because you are a boy, unlike myself. <laughs> um, I always, I thought it was really interesting the detail that was given or like the context we got as to how Tate was raised by his father mm -hmm. and how his father defined being a man or masculinity. And if I remember correctly, sort of his trademark like traits of a man where they would defend women or protect women um they would read poetry and they would cry freely or cry openly or something like that and i think it's pretty clear that however chase grew up he was not taught this sort of code or this moral this this that's not that we know that's on him that's not yeah he doesn't person. have the same upbringing um, exactly uh Tate's dad is like a hardworking man, like earns everything he has. Mm -hmm. Nothing is given to him. So I think he instilled compassion yeah. in Tate that Chase didn't, that Chase never learned. 
Um, Tate also experienced real loss with the loss of his mother and his sister. And we know that he carried guilt over that, whether or not mm-hmm. that was deserved is a different discussion. But what, how did you, I mean, as a young man, reading that description of masculinity from Tate's father, especially, you know, in the 1940s or whenever this was written, that that's pretty unique, I think, in for that time so how did you how did you yeah i mean nowadays like it's encouraged to like be open emotionally Uh even as a man like you're told it's okay Mm -hmm. to embrace those feelings and Mm -hmm. show them Um, it's actually healthy i can't imagine like back in the 1940s 50s like that wasn't the popular opinion that probably made you as a man look weak Mm -hmm. Um, so I think Tate's father was unique in that upbringing and teaching him that lesson. Mm-hmm. He was kind of ahead of his time. Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. Very so, thankful for it. Yeah. Then on the other hand, we have Chase, who's like the star quarterback. He's like the popular kid in school and everything. And his parents are just as like spoiled rotten as he is, because I think we get a few glimpses of them throughout the novel, and they just feel really entitled and like everyone should bow down to them i hate knowing like when i was young and dumb in high school i probably would have had a crush on chase <laughs> probably tate as well but i would have been like oh chase is or yeah chase is so cute and like now as a grown woman i'm like tate is clearly where it's at he's well, clearly the obvious so you would have been in that group what do you think your kaya nickname would have been i don't even want to know i'm terrified of what you would say <laughs> i don't even want to know <laughs> <laughs> I'd be so interested to hear what it would be. I don't know if I actually would have fit in with that group. It would have been one of those things where it's like, I think Tate is a little more attainable and definitely the better option. Chase would be the kind of person that maybe when I was young and dumb from afar, I'd be like, oh, he's so cute. And then after a year or so, I'd be like, never mind. He's, You're kind of over him. He kind of sucks. Yeah. It really sucks, actually. So Owens answered this question and she said, To me, Kaya's first love, Tate, represents the sensitive, evolved male. Mm -hmm. He shares opera with his father and loves poetry. He is strong and manly, but is kind, intelligent, and caring. Of course, he makes mistakes, but tries to also make amends. Mm -hmm. He loves deeply and truly. On the other hand, Chase is the raw, unevolved male who Mm -hmm. flashes his secondary sexual characteristics, such as his fancy ski boat, in order to attract one female after another. Mm-hmm. He is not very different from a buck uh, in a rut. He doesn't care who he hurts along the way as long as he can be with as many females as possible. Kaya, as many, ma- man- many mammal females <laughs> would, falls for both, but in the long run she makes the intelligent, evolved human choice for the right one. <laughs> Praise. And Ch- yes. uh, Tate does make mistakes. Like, he doubts that Kaya can be with him after he goes off to college mm-hmm. and doesn't think she'll be able to fit in or adapt to his lifestyle and, like, everything he's going to go off and, and learn. It's, it's very interesting. Don't get me wrong. I, I was so heartbreak, heartbroken in that moment. I was like, Tate, no, <laughs> don't do what everyone else has done. But going back to his him being the evolved example of masculinity – at his core, it's not that he was ashamed to bring Kaya into his world. He was it was concern for her. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to put her in an environment where she would just flounder and die or or just 
or you know be set up you don't want to set her up to fail yeah he never wanted to make her uncomfortable yeah or put her in even more awkward situations exactly so obviously his the way he went about it was not great yeah but you know it's all about communication guys all about communication if you remember anything from this podcast today (laughs) communication is key um but you can't you can't fault him completely because how many of us would have done something very, very similar? It's not like he could have shot her a text and let her, you know, let her know what he had decided. Mm-hmm. But it, I think it's really important to note that his motivations, going back to our earlier conversation about motivations, you know, he at his core, he just wanted to protect her and anything that Chase did conversely was for his own sense of self-preservation, his own selfish wants, and he... You know, we know that he never had any intention of of changing her life at all. He just wanted what he wanted. To use her, yeah. Exactly. And I think, like, another big difference is, like, Tate is so patient with Kaya mm-hmm. in every interaction and everything they do, whether it's, like, reading or just trying to get her to be more social, whereas Chase has no patience for anything in their relationship. He's always wanting to, like, rush her he had patience do. until he got what he wanted, which was to, you know, to sleep with her. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it, you know, it, I mean, he got what he wanted. Yeah. And then he got what he had coming for him. Not even angry about it. She <laughs> sucks. So, Leslie, as a woman, how do you think womanhood is explored throughout the book? And what does being a woman mean to Kaya? if she even ever had the chance to sort of understand what it means to be a woman because she had no role models and she sort of it's it's interesting because I kind of wish that her first sexual experience I mean I think she kind of tiptoed in there with Tate, but Mm -hmm. realistically her first experience was with Chase. I almost kind of wish it was with Tate, although I fully understand and admire his reasons for not, for Mm -hmm. not doing that. Um, But I kind of wish that it would have been with him just because, you know, it, I think that would have given her that sort of female perspective, that female education that she never really received. Because I mean, everything she knows about being a woman, she got from Jumpin's wife. Yeah. And um, that tapping into that femininity, it's, you know, it's a big moment in a girl's life. And it happened with the wrong person. It happened with Chase, who we know sucks. We've established (laughs) this. I just get so angry. And I, it just, it makes me so sad that this very intimate female experience that she had, she, it, you know, it was wasted on him and I don't I I wish that she had a little more she was able to experience that a little more and or at least in a healthier mm-hmm. environment and a healthier relationship. Um and I can't help but wonder how things would have been different if that experience had happened with Tate first and then Chase, because you know, at that point the bar is set and then And she could have also maybe like realized something was off or wrong with Chase. Yeah. Yeah, there was no way for her to know that, you know, this doesn't feel right. I don't I don't feel comfortable or this, you know, if it was great with Tate and then 
switching over to Chase and did there's just that connection missing, mm-hmm. how would the story have ended differently? Yeah. And I'm even remembering now, and I have it written here now, so it is Barkley Cove, not uh-huh. Berkeley. Um, the women, she she observes them in the town too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm remembering that it's a sign of its time when this book is set because even parts of the town are closed off to women. That's right. That's right. That surprised me. Yeah, yeah. And so I think she sees that, and that's another thing that kind of forms her interpretation of being a woman in that time yeah so yeah so we're gonna start tiptoeing towards the end of the novel one of the big things that starts popping up in the book is all these poems and Uh i remember when i was reading the book i was like poetry what what is this what are we doing Mm -hmm. um but it all comes to a big payoff at the end Mm -hmm. and it, it goes back to like tate's father telling him that poems are important because they make you feel something Mm -hmm. Uh, what do you think poetry means to Tate? What does it mean to Kaya? And then how does poetry help Kaya? Disclaimer, I've never been a poetry person. Me neither. So that, in we high school, like English classes, you'd always have like a part of the, the school year where you'd have to do poetry. Mm-hmm. I dreaded that part of the school year. I always just would like yell into the void of my bedroom. Why don't you just say what yeah. you think? <laughs> say what you mean. It was so frustrating. I think, uh, I mean, poetry is expression, right? And like, that's what I know. Poetry, Tate's father said poetry makes you feel something. And I think, I don't know. It, it's I've never really had the the draw or the connection to poetry, so it's kind of hard for me. Were you to... kind of like me when you were reading it, and like after the first few poems, you just kind of like glaze over the next. I would, several... yeah. So we talked about this a little bit at you know Scotts or whatever. I think I saw you, and we talked about it. Um, I would definitely skim, mm-hmm. and I noticed throughout the book, I was like, "That's very interesting that this poem is so specific." It fits... who's Amanda Hamilton? Yeah, I was like, I, <laughs> I, I would have Googled it if I yeah, wasn't on a plane. <laughs> for a while, I thought that was an actual poet. No, I definitely did. I just don't care enough about poetry yeah. to look into it. And I remember thinking, oh, that's kind of cool that this Ham- Amanda Hamilton person, she, this, it just seems to fit so perfectly as to what they're going through. Well, that's, uh-huh. that's cool. Um, I just, I guess to Kaya, it's, she, I mean, there's so many ways to express yourself, but she doesn't really know any of them because she never had the chance to explore them. This is really the only like this and she was an artist, right? Or she she did Yeah, yeah. Her mom had the paintings and so Yeah. Before she learned <clears throat> to read and write, like the only way she could really express herself on paper was with painting. It makes me wonder if, you know, Tate wasn't a poetry buff, if he introduced her to, you know, singing or some other form of self-expression if she would have latched onto that as well Mm -hmm. um she i mean she clearly had a knack for poetry but um i think i like to think also that poetry was when tate was gone her connection to him yeah i think not just expressing herself but i think it, it was a way of keeping that connection with him and not just with him but with that time of her life you know close to heart Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah that's a good point because you know she reads these scientific textbooks so that's one form of writing that she's accustomed to but Mm -hmm. 
when Very he introduces yeah when he introduces this poetry she learns it and it's almost like the most intimate she can be on paper mm-hmm. and That's a good really way to put it. sharing That's a good way that connection that way all right let's jump right into the ending let's do it were you surprised by the verdict in the court case oh with chase's murder trial uh, <laughs> let me tell you how I read this. I was in the Southwest Terminal waiting to board the plane and I could not put it down. And I had one hand holding my book and one hand on the page so I wouldn't read ahead and spoil it. Yeah. <laughs> and because I was, I felt my eyes shifting over and I was just so stunned and so excited. And I was just like, ugh. Yes, I mm-hmm. just like I was going to cry. I was so happy. I was I was very very surprised for sure just because it I mean, much like Kaya, we have no reason to believe the townspeople are going to vote in her favor. Yeah. I was I I don't know what I was expecting. I was just so I was, proud of her lawyer too. Oh my gosh. I was like, "Thank you Jesus for this lawyer who's not <laughs> even a real person, but uh it yeah, I was I was shocked and it was also really heartwarming to see her little community that had gathered in that in that uh, bench to mm-hmm. support her. So it was, you know, Jumpin' and Mabel, uh, Jody. There um, was one lady from the town who was always a little sympathetic towards her. The cashier lady. Yeah. Um, but also her publisher. Her publisher uh-huh. who, you know, I don't, I think they just had that one meeting that one time or whatever. It, she went to go meet the publisher, like, in between the time period when Chase got murdered. But that was their first face-to-face yeah. interaction. Yeah. And so I just thought it was really nice that even though that was literally their one face-to-face interaction, he was there for her in the trial. I thought that was really telling. Mm-hmm. Um, which, everything, you know, this ending blew my mind, but I was, I was, it was, when I read it, it was almost as though, like, one of my own loved ones had been acquitted. And I was just like, <laughs> Yes, I was so happy. I was like, "Why is no one else in this terminal so as excited as I am?" <laughs> it's crazy though. Like I, I'm feeling so elated from that court win, and then we get to the ending, and Tate finds out that she did murder him. Ah! <laughs> I have such a mix of re- like feelings going through me, and I feel I like... was losing. I read it a few times because I was like, "No, no, <laughs> no, it, yeah. no!" I just. So if I read that if I read that correctly, was that the first time Tate realized? Uh huh. Okay, so he went his because whole life not because he found that box, and it had the seashell necklace. Uh huh. So okay, so he went their whole marriage not knowing that, and it had or their all whole the... relationship that um that that she did it. She's he didn't know. Yeah. Okay. And it had all the collections of poetry in there. Yeah. Uh yeah. So he like takes the necklace, breaks it apart, like throws it into the water and everything. I was also like really sad when they're out on the boat together or no, was that... he with her? No, she, she had was just gone by out herself and she hadn't come back. So yeah. For her. Yeah. And she just like dies that... peacefully on the boat I... at only 64, I think. I Ugly tears. And I just, I, I don't remember if you said, I think you said said in your podcast that the ending felt a little rushed. Like now that I like kind of think back on it. At, at the time, I, I don't think I felt it immediately when I was reading it, but now that I look back on it, I'm like, a lot happened in those pe- last like, yeah, it's 15 like, oh, pages. Well, Tate and Kaya are living together in her shack. Like, I would have loved to get a li- just little a, slice of life. A of that. little more. Like, I know that yeah. they had a good relationship with Jody and his family, and they were happy in their that shack. That, too. That was great. That, I, loved I love that, that Jody reconnected with her. Um, yeah. 
and he didn't just like come back that one time and say like okay just wanted to check up on you but yeah no you're doing okay so bye yeah like he gave her like his address to write to or like you know so they wouldn't lose touch again really and he felt genuinely guilty yeah which yeah we we talked about him a little bit i i was gonna say one thing just quick tangent about jody in your podcast you talked to or the last episode you did you talked about um the reveal with the scar and you thought it would have been a little more impactful if the scar had been something we knew about earlier in the story Mm -hmm. i kind of disagreed just because it it to me it was a reminder and sort of this example of how just how young kaya was when this all went down and how like despite because i think as we follow her story she's doing so much and she has she's amassed this wisdom and this skill set beyond her years that no child should ever you know need to acquire yeah but when you look back on you know her her in her memories with jody obviously they were difficult but they um we realize i think the scar was a reminder or this 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 example of her romanticizing that time because you know we never like this scar that we that we never knew he had that he got from the hands of his father it was this reminder that like no yeah like life sucked for jody too and we and he probably had it different because he was older and he was a boy and so he wanted to protect his mother and so it just adds layers to you know this is why the mom left this is why jody left do we agree with how they did it no but i really enjoyed that rev- i mean you could enjoyed it as much as someone can but i i i liked the way she revealed that i think it's effective where she placed it too because jody comes back in part two and so it's been a while since we've been with ma and pa and like kaya's family and we hadn't heard about jody for a while yeah either. and so like you know <clears throat> kaya's growing up and it it could be easy to forget at that point in the book, like the constant tension and abuse that was there yeah. in that household. Yeah. So yeah, that was effective in that yeah. way. Uh, after the trial, I was so worried for jumping, like him being a black man at that time. I thought like the townspeople that were upset with the ruling were going to go after him because yeah. he was there supporting Kaya. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness they didn't, but I was still like devastated when he died. Who did you think did it? Um, you know, the book sets it up to make you feel like it's Tate, right? I thought it was Tate. Yeah. I thought it was Tate, and it was maybe not something that was intentional, but it was a moment of, like, like it was one of those accidental things where, like, maybe he chased him up to that tower, or he knew that Chase was expecting Kaya, and then he showed up instead, and it was, like, an accident. He put he fell, or they got into a scuffle or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um I, I definitely thought it was Tate, and I, I think what really threw me for a loop was when Kaya saw the sheriff approach Tate in the boat, and then they pull him up, and he just kind of hangs his head. And I was like, oh my gosh, yeah. they found evidence against him. He's going to get arrested. This is so romantic, but terrible. And then, nope, uh-huh. it's his dad dying. Yeah. Which was... So many people die at the end all of a sudden. Ah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So yeah, I, I, I thought it was Tate, and I wasn't even mad about it. <laughs> I really like thinking back to appreciate how in part one, there's this whole side story of the murder mystery with Chase. Mm-hmm. Um, but the author does a really good job of like, those almost feel like little interludes between chapters rather than like other authors could have easily just like diverted to that for like a long section of yeah. the book. It was but, paced very well. Yeah. I never well. felt like, 
this is dragging on. I need to get back to Kaya. Like I did want to get back to Kaya, but it was like perfectly, a perfectly written amount mm-hmm. before we got back. Yeah. So yeah, uh, to wrap up, I've already given my rating on the previous episode. How would you rate uh, where the crawdads sing? Um, whatever the highest rating in your system is. Bookshelf for the bookshelf. I'm top so, shelf. I'm glad <laughs> I preemptively bought this book. Um, I I wish. Um. Actually, no, I'm going to scrap that. I, I'm bookshelf worthy. Um, I do have a question for you since you're always asking questions as a podcast host. We know it's going to be a movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. This year, I think. I just, I'm, I'm waiting for the trailer. I'm like... already following some of the <laughs> cast members. I was very excited to see who they cast. Um, mm-hmm. The lead actress, I know her from another show that I really enjoyed. And then Tate... It's not really A-list actors, though. It's... Yeah, it's you can find some of their work, but they're not, which I, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, and Tate just looks really cute, so I'm excited for that. <laughs> um, but I was going to ask you, what no, now that we know that a movie's coming, what are you excited to see on the big screen? And what are, if anything, are you kind of worried about? Like maybe they kind of so, do wrong. I know they shot it and did photography in Louisiana. Okay. Uh, I think like parts of New Orleans and then definitely like Homa, which is more, um, I guess, the like... I played a tennis tournament there one time. It's uh, <laughs> it's like a, a definitely a smaller town, so mm-hmm. I could definitely see it having this maybe Barkley Cove feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's definitely like a lot of swamp and bayou around that area. Uh, so I'm just excited to see like these broad sweeping shots of the the marsh. Mm-hmm. Um, they could get some really cool, cool, beautiful shots of that. I think the courtroom drama part of the movie will be like. There could be some Oscar-worthy scenes from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm excited to see how they do that. There are some, like, time jump, Like, there's a time jump in the book um, with her growing up. Um, so I guess I would be a little worried how they handled that. And mm-hmm. then also, like, there's a time jump even in part one, like, going back and forth with the murder mystery and then... Uh, in the past with her growing up and like learning about her family life. So mm-hmm. I'm cautiously optimistic to see how they like handle that balance. Yeah. I think what I would really love to see, we talked a little bit about how we would love to see a little more slice of happiness between um, yeah. Kaya and Tate. They're happily ever after. But I would also like to see a little more. And it's interesting because the book did a really good job of, sort of we know once we realize that Kaya did it we kind of know exactly how she did it because that was part of the defense or that was part of the prosecution right yeah. like they were the ones who were like no we know how she, this is how conceivably if she did it this is how she would have done it I kind of would like to see a little bit more behind that because I feel like we know that Kaya was very angry with Chase and deservedly so, but I would have I would have liked to know a little bit more about how she got to the point where she was like, I'm gonna do something. Like this is this is the straw, this is the line where I've like I'm not taking any more of this mistreatment from anybody, especially Chase. So I would love to see that from the book. I don't know how they would do that. I'm interested to see if like in the movie they show her actually committing the murder and yeah. then do the murder trial. So you as the audience know she already did it. Yeah. And then it's a shock to the movie audience that she gets acquitted. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know how they would do it. I, I really like the way the book set it up. I don't know mm-hmm. how that would work with a movie, but I would like to see a little more of how she sort of came to that place 
and how she decided to act. I don't need I don't need to actually see or kill him. I'm just kind of I'm just kind of <laughs> wondering. You? I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. But I just yeah, I just I I would love to know a little bit more about like wait, so she actually did do this? Like how like how did this kind of come to fruition in her head? Um and I I agree with you about what I'm a little worried about. I think the thing that I would hate if I walk into that theater and walk out with and see this would be just not enough context with, um, you know, those, the good moments. I mm-hmm. hope that they give, cause she did have good moments growing up and I hope that those aren't skimmed over when they show the flashbacks to her rough childhood. I, I, you know, it, those, those were heartwarming moments with, with her dad and especially with Tate and even with Jumpin. Yeah. So um, I hope that those are sort of given the credit and the, the attention that I think they're due. Have you watched the My Octopus Teacher documentary on Netflix? No. What is that? <laughs> it's about what? it's about this guy who starts diving, free diving in the ocean and finds an octopus and just forms a connection with it and kind of learns like life lessons from the octopus. It sounds really strange, um, but okay. it's beautiful like nature cinematography and like really makes you connect with like that setting and the creatures there and so like i'm hoping for a little bit of that in the movie so it really like we talked about brings a big contrast to when she's trapped in the jail cell Mm -hmm. and you really start to miss that yeah yeah just like that vibrancy of life in the marsh and then this cold jail cell Uh, yes yeah yeah well leslie it's been great having you back on the podcast thank you so much for inviting me back i hope my car is still outside when i go out (laughs) (laughs) well we'll have to go check on it now so uh we'll definitely have you back on when we both find another book that we've read yes please we always have like really good discussions and they go a lot longer but it's great i know you said it'll be about 20 minutes and i'm like (laughs) okay yeah yeah sure (laughs) but yeah if, if you give me an update on what you're thinking of reading for the pod maybe i'll try and find a book that you might be interested in and we can yeah we can do a mini book club definitely thank you for listening to this special bonus episode of book blurbs and thanks again to leslie for coming back on the podcast you can engage with book blurbs by going to www.anchor.fm slash book blurbs to leave a voice message for the podcast or you can send an email to bookblurbs 19 at gmail.com you can also follow the podcast on social media on facebook and twitter at bookblurbs 19 do me a favor and leave a rating for book blurbs on whichever podcasting platform you're listening to it on right now to help grow the audience My name is Kenneth, I've been your host, and I'll catch you next time on Book Blurbs.